Welcome to the Breaking the Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. On today's episode, we're chatting with Erica Pranga, who went from studying design in college to learning how to code at Dev Bootcamp and landing a job at Adobe as an experienced developer. This is a very unique role that combines both design and coding skills, and we're going to go deeper on what that position entails. After lots of conversations and great feedback from you, our fans, we listened and put together the recommended resources section on our website that has the top resources we found useful while breaking into tech. Whether you want to learn how to growth hack or how to code, you can go to breakingthestartups.com slash resources to find out online courses or in-person boot camps that will get you on your way. Only thing we ask is please use our sign-up links to let our partners know that you're a Breaking Startups listener to get a preferred rate and other perks. And as always, please show your support and give us your feedback by dropping a review on iTunes. It's not only the best way to tell our team about what you think of this podcast, but it will also help us tailor the stories to what you, our audience, wants to hear. Now, without further ado, please enjoy this episode and let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Artem Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yep. So tonight we're recording this episode out of Hustle. Hustle is a startup that's uh, based just north of Market in Fidei, and it's 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night. So we have a very special guest here sitting with us, and we can actually see Hustle's employees still outside working, and we're really excited to bring to you the story. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, Timo, thank you. So we're really excited about being able to interview Erica Prenga, and she has a very interesting story because she's not only an experienced developer at Adobe, and she's also a bootcamp grad of Dev Bootcamp. And while we interview a lot of bootcamp grads, uh, something that we like to talk about is how they finance their tuition to attend their various programs. And a lot of people have approached it in different ways, whether it's either taking out a loan, using credit cards, paying it straight up, and Erica, or GoFundMe. Or GoFundMe. Yeah. And Erica has a very interesting way that she approached. Know getting into that bootcamp. So, Erica, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know how you did this? Yeah. So, I had just gotten married when I applied for Dev Bootcamp, and both my husband and I were looking for a pretty big change in our lives. So, we had pretty good amount of money we had received from family. We'd asked for money instead of gifts because we had no house. <laughs> and uh, so essentially, we just decided to take that and run and used it to pay our way uh, across the country from Texas to California and pay for us to live in California while I attended Dev Boot Camp and also used it a portion of it for Dev Bootcamp along with a few zero person APR credit cards. And it was pretty much uh, used up by the time I graduated, but it got us through. So Wow. So so you went all in. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about your educational experience. And I know 
your husband was involved with like online poker and you did some negotiation tactics later on that we'll go into. But before talking about Dev Bootcamp, you're currently an experienced developer at Adobe. What does an experienced developer do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so it's a little bit of everything. I do have a design background. And so it's super useful in the context of prototyping. Prototyping is essentially just make it look like it works (laughs) without (laughs) worrying about it breaking. And it's used a lot to get an idea across or validate an idea. And so it's essentially a design process. But where the coding comes in nicely is that you can use a stack to essentially like create a movable, like interactable experience. So design comps, flat images don't always express how something should be interacted with. And even the most mature design apps doing animations and stuff still don't really cut it a lot of the time. And so it's great because I get to use my skills as a developer to scrape together different ideas and essentially just ask the question of like, is this a good idea? (laughs) And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not, but like we get to validate that. Yeah. And you're actually the first person on this podcast who's an experienced engineer. So that's really cool to hear your story and what this role entails. Would you say you're part of the design team or an engineering team or both? How is that structured at Adobe? I am officially in the Adobe Design Org, but my team is about half designers, half engineers, developers. And a lot of us actually have non-traditional backgrounds, I think because it suits the work well. But even though we are technically Adobe Design, what we do is still very technical. It just that's kind of because the work we do is design thinking. That just kind of is where we live. And why would a company want to do something like a prototype instead of just getting their engineering team to like, hey, we want to have a new app or a new feature, just build it? Yeah. So I think it's part of the advent of like agile, actually, this idea of like actually asking the user what they want instead of just telling the user what they want. It's the same reason why Waterfall broke, right? Because you make the whole plan in the beginning and then halfway through you realize this plan sucks, but you can't do anything about it. And so I do think this kind of position is still pretty new and niche, but it's going to become a lot more valid in the next few years. If you read articles about design, they're saying designers, you have to learn to code. And same with front-end engineers. Front-end engineers are now having to take part more in the design process because it's this whole discussion of like, is what we're even building like useful or like, do people even care about this, you know? And because with a lot of uh, de- like software development, especially on the front end, you might spend like a whole month building on a feature, but if the user doesn't know how to use that feature, or they don't even know like, oh, you're supposed to scroll to the left, but like I'm not used to that behavior, and then you could potentially waste a lot of resources building something that people don't intuitively know how to use. Yeah, and for the people that don't know, can you explain the difference between agile and waterfall? Yeah, so essentially, waterfall was an old methodology where companies would essentially top down the people in charge would say, we want this feature. And then they would build out this entire plan for the year or however, whatever the timeline was. And it would say, here's the features you have to build and here's how they need to be built and now go build it. And then the team would have that entire 
amount of time to follow the steps and build the thing. And agile is the exact opposite of that. So the team comes up, they have a feature idea and they start to build it and design it. But in the meanwhile, they're questioning whether the thing is valid. And then in, in, in two weeks or whatever amount of time they give themselves, they stop and they say, okay, is this still valid? Are we still going in a good direction? And they allow themselves to pivot if necessary. And I think that's the big key because with Waterfall is like we have an endpoint, we have a trajectory and you've written out, you've taken all this time to write out this entire path, but then like you realize the path leads to nowhere. Yeah. And since, since you're taking the user into account, do experienced developers ever spend time client facing? So they might. In my case, we are an internal team and we're not a product team. We're essentially like an internal startup. So we kind of do what product teams don't have the time to do. We explore opportunities. There have been times where we've done user research to people who use our products, but that is with a kind of singular goal in mind. We want to validate an idea and we need users to tell us whether or not this makes sense. But it's never people we don't interact we're not a product team so we don't interact with people who use things that we've built so in order to determine whether this is something that people want you would work with the product team to figure that out we do that before it even gets to the product team once we've validated that then we do essentially what's called a tech transfer and which is very common in like research teams you find a team to essentially buy in and make it a priority in their feature list yeah and during this whole process I know you have a background in design. How does that come in handy when you're building these prototypes? Yeah, so it comes in handy a lot. I'm never actually the one designing an interface, but because we're such a small team and we're so oriented towards questioning and ideating, there's constantly discussion around whether like an interaction is jarring or if it feels smooth and why. Right. And so we're playing with it. We're talking about it. We're looking at it. We're asking other people about it. And so I get to really use my design background in the sense of like engaging in those conversations and offering like valuable insight into what I see because I'm aware of what went into the design, but I'm also aware of like my experience of the thing as a user. And that's awesome because I've been reading more and more articles on. Uh, like a lot of companies are looking for unicorns to understand design and know how to code. What advice would you have for folks who are maybe more leaning towards design? Do you think, would you recommend them to learn how to code or just like the basics of HTML and CSS? Yeah, I definitely think like, even if you don't care about coding at all, it's becoming a part of the tool set of designers. It's just so, so common. I have, I know a lot of designers at Adobe who actively code in JavaScript and HTML, CSS, because a lot of times like that is just another way to like to visualize something you have in your head. And it's just becoming so common. I would definitely say if you're interested in design, if you're an engineer or a developer interested in design, like there is definitely a place for you. And UX is a huge field. But even if you're just a designer, learning code just makes so much sense. And it sounds like prototyping is just kind of like wireframing to another level yeah 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 it's it's you think about like interactions so like slide to unlock wasn't a thing until apple made slide to unlock a thing and that took research and that took them asking like what could this experience look like and that's what they came up with 
And now it's an industry standard. Yeah, 100%. And so you have this design background. You know, did you go to school for that or before Dev Bootcamp or how did that work? Yeah. So I went to school for, first it was architecture, realized I didn't like it, <laughs> switched to graphic design. And I did that for two years. And coming up on my fifth year, I was actually trying to cram summer courses <laughs> to make sure I could graduate what was then actually already a year late, but on time. <laughs> and I was just really frustrated with the system. I felt like I had gone to school for four years and, and should have some sort of resume, but I, I didn't. I wasn't confident in being able to find a job with a concrete skill set and was investing a lot of money into these classes. And I was actually taking geology at the time because of core requirements. And I was just, I was just like, screw it. <laughs> like, I can't do this. I'm not interested. So I decided to quit before going into my fifth year. And uh, that's when I started researching what to do next. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, it took me five years to graduate as well. So I totally understand. And But but it's clear that you care about learning. And there's like this, the environment wasn't for you. And you were there with your husband as well. Right? Or you, got, you guys were both in school and you guys were trying to figure out what you guys wanted to do next. Cause they, what was the process to go from you know, deciding to quit to you know, searching for alternatives? Yeah. So I knew I was unhappy. I was distracted by my soon-to-be husband and just wanted to... I didn't really have a plan. I just knew that wasn't doing me any good. And I was just supremely unhappy. So I decided to quit and I was working part-time at a tanning salon and had started doing that past semester. I had started doing some work for a family friend on WordPress. And from there, my interest just kind of gained traction. And so when I did finally quit, I started to do research on what I could do with what I already knew. I knew I didn't have enough knowledge to, to get a job yet, but I knew I had some and I didn't want to throw that away. It wasn't like, you know, spiteful, see you later, college, like don't need you. It was just like, I didn't want to continue forward with that. And to me, it was like, I didn't want to feel like I was wasting another year of my life. So I ran up against uh, Udemy at first and that was interesting, but didn't really hold my attention for very long. I'm not a good self-teacher or self-motivator. So I had actually told my family when I quit. And of course, they freaked out. But one of my brothers had met a bootcamp grad while he was in New York and offered to connect me with him. And that's where that whole idea got started. I had already been doing the research, but that was when I had heard about this type of program. Got it. So it's, it sounds like time is valuable to you. You were fig- spending time to figure out what's your best way of learning, like what was what your most receptive to, you know, family is cl- like they're close to you. And so you have two older brothers and they're the ones that kind of expose you to, you know, people that you can talk to that, you know, can inform like where you wanted to go. Next. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and it sounds silly, like, let me quit because I don't want to waste a year, but I don't know what I'm going to do with that year. But for me, it was just very much like, 
do I want to spend a year doing something that I already know pisses me off and makes me unhappy? Or do I want to give myself the chance to do something different? And I didn't know what that was. I just want to give myself that chance. Yeah. And student loans are a real thing. And spending another year trying to figure that out is yeah. interesting. And I think looking back now, like, I guess, what advice would you have for folks who are currently in school? And everyone has different learning styles. And there's folks who like who are totally fine being behind a desk, listening to the teacher for eight hours a day, some are not. What advice would you have for folks who are struggling like to get through classes? Maybe they have four semesters left and they're already in their fourth year. Like, Would you recommend following your path or uh, any other considerations? I mean, it's nothing is one size fits all, right? And that was the problem I had with the university was that's how they pitched it. And that, that it was this like rainbow promise of if you get to the end of the rainbow, you get a pot of gold. And it was like, no, that's not actually real life. And so if you're going to school because you think you're going to get a ticket at the end, good luck. But if you're passionate about what you're learning, totally keep at it. I think for me, I would go back to school if I felt like there was something I was excited to learn. And I have taken courses since then. And the difference is just astounding when you're there because you want to be. And I think what I struggled with at school was like, we were all there because we were told that's what you're supposed to do. And I just think it's bullshit. It's just, you know, we buy into it because we don't have the confidence to say, well, I'm just going to do this thing where like nobody's done it before and I don't know what that looks like. 100%. For the people that don't know, you know, at this time, boot camps weren't what they are now. You kind of paint the picture of what the boot camp landscape looks like. And I know that your brother helped inform you your decision, but you know, kind of like talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So at the time it was 2014 when I started looking at boot camps. And so there were three main ones that I kept hearing about. It was Dev Bootcamp, App Academy, Hack Reactor. And then there were a couple other uh, edge cases. There was General Assembly, there was Coding Dojo, there was a few others. But the ones I kept hearing about were those first three. And so that's kind of what I focused on. And it really came down to reading people's blogs, talking to people who had attended my brother connected me with an alumni from Dev Bootcamp and I got the chance to ask him all the questions and see where he was at professionally. Do you remember some of the concerns you had or some of the questions you had when you were about to go into Bootcamp route? No, not specifically. I just remember being so unsure about like whether this was a good idea at all. But the, it really came down to like, I don't have any other ideas. And the guy I talked to he was super encouraging. He didn't say this is for everybody or anything like that. He was just like, it worked for me. And, you know, I'm figuring things out and really enjoyed it. And the joy he got out of it made me feel like even if it doesn't lead to a pot of gold, like, well, I wasn't guaranteed that pot of gold anyways. And so like, this is something different, new. And frankly, it really spoke to the qualms I had with university and that learning style, like not fitting. And I just needed, uh, I wanted a skill set in what it sounded like boot camps were was I give you some money and you give me a skill set at the end. And I, by the time I'd re done my research and applied, I felt pretty confident that like, regardless of getting a job, I would get some skills that I could do things with. And yeah. from there, it'd be sounds up like, to me. Sounds like you're very good at figuring out kind of what your end goal is and then tracing back and coming up with a plan of like, who do I need to speak to? Or how do I find the resources to pay for this tuition? Like, what do I need to do? What are the steps that I need to take to get to where I'm going? 
when you were looking at those schools that you mentioned, what stood out to you the most about Dev Bootcamp and what eventually led you to that decision to apply? Yeah. So the reason General Assembly didn't impress me was because they were huge already at the time. And that was two years into boot camps existing at all. And it sounded like universities. So I said, nope. And the others were just too small. And then between Dev Bootcamp, Hack Reactor, and App Academy, both Hack Reactor and App Academy required prior knowledge. And I didn't have prior knowledge. And so it was just coming back to that again, like that awareness of this is just not how I learn. And I didn't want to spend six months or a year trying, like struggling to self-teach in order to get into a boot camp when there was already a boot camp that would take me. So I did really even try for those, even though Hack Reactor boasted a bigger number. It wasn't, it was like, do I start now or do I put it off even longer? And I was just done putting things off. So I applied to Dev Bootcamp, got in, and I was also super attracted by the fact that they pitched themselves as like more than just a coding bootcamp. And like the fact that I was going to have to move out here and change my whole life, it really spoke to me in the sense of like, everything's changing. I need an environment that like supports that and recognizes like I'm not just a mind to dump knowledge into. Yeah. And what, are, what were some of the things that appealed to you? You mentioned that it's more than just a bootcamp. So what were those things that attracted you to the bootcamp beyond just the coding part? So for the interview, they had this pre-work I had to do. And beyond some technical exercises, they also asked that you watch this video on emotional intelligence. And before then, I hadn't even heard of this term. And it's actually one that I hear regularly in the Adobe environment. So it's a common industry term, but this just this idea of like caring about how you project yourself and how you deal with your emotions and how that affects the people around you and how that affects yourself and just this kind of cycle that we can get into and just putting words to those things and acknowledging them as part of the process and part of the learning process and just like everything that university didn't do, <laughs> right? They basically stick you in a room tell you to learn and then give you like an advisor that's not really your counselor. And uh, it just, you know, it really spoke to me in, in terms of this was a whole person experience for me. And so the fact that they were going to cater to that at the boot camp made sense. That's awesome. And it, and it sounds like, you know, to your point, you know, joy was your priority. You know, you really wanted to find something that was encompassing what you were passionate about and was developing the skill for you. Um, you got into the program and what was that program like for you? And then we'll kind of like talk about. Yeah. Just to go back to something you said really quick, a joy being like my priority. I definitely think that's true. And the reason I can say that is because my biggest fear going into a boot camp was that I was going to realize I didn't like it. And I think that's a pretty common fear, but it was totally internalized. I didn't discuss it with anybody, but I think I wrote it down somewhere and I read it a while back and I was like, man, like that was so intense, you know, just like dropping everything to go to this thing that I wasn't sure about. But so there was a lot of anxiety going through just on a personal level of like, <laughs> what am I, and what like, did I get myself fail, into? If you fail or you decide this is not for you, like, what do you do next? Like, yeah. And, yeah. And it's scary. Yeah. I mean, you're doing 12 hours or whatever a day doing something maybe like at the first weekend you're like why yeah, you don't have I get time for regret yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
what was that environment like compared to school? Because you mentioned that like you had some trouble just like staying and motivated in regular classes. How did that compare to your new experience at the bootcamp? Yeah. So before I ever actually applied for a bootcamp, I would always complain about school in, in like, I would say, oh, I love these like two week intensive courses where I just do it and, and just do that and get it out of the way and like don't have to juggle like four or five classes a semester where I have to switch gears and learn a bunch of stuff at once. It's like just teach all the stuff to me at once. I'll take the test and move on. And so I think I already knew I was attracted to that kind of environment that's just very single-minded. You get the thing and you move on and very immersive, intensive environment. And so that definitely like spoke to me in ter- like in terms of like why I thought boot camp would be great. And then going through it, it was definitely immersive and intense. But I think that was a good thing to me because... And and for our listeners who might be new to the concept of a bootcamp, what would you say your day-to-day schedule was like in terms of what you did, like what the assignments were and uh, like how you interacted with your classmates? Yeah. Disclaimer that I think this varies from bootcamp to bootcamp. But for me, it's like, (laughs) wake up, struggle to get to bootcamp on time, walk in, start you have a lecture in the morning and then they have coding activities that pertain to what the lecture was. And every day we paired. So every day we'd get paired with another student and we'd have to, one of us would get the keyboard and the mouse and the other person wouldn't and you'd have to work together. And it was all about like the going back to the EQ and empathy building um, and working together. And also we learned a lot from, from each other because we had to work together when I didn't know a thing, my partner would, or when when he didn't know a thing, I would. And when we both didn't know a thing, we'd figure it out together, you know? So there was a lot. You're constantly working with someone else. And uh, then you'd get as much done as possible. You never finish. And then you'd go to lunch, cry into your sandwich. <laughs> And then uh, (laughs) lecture in the afternoon. I always had struggle with afternoon lecture because I'd just eat and then then (laughs) need a nap. I'd need a nap. (laughs) I couldn't take a nap. And then we'd go back. Same thing. Do the coding activities for the evening. And then we would have evening stand up where the whole cohort would get together and we'd just go around the circle and say like the topic changed every day. What's your favorite video game? Your favorite childhood memory, worst job you ever had, uh, uh, was the best thing that happened today. Sometimes it was technical, sometimes it wasn't. It was just this idea of like us coming together at the end of the day and like even playing field, start again tomorrow. So we would continue working for another two or three hours. By eight o'clock, we'd still be there because we felt guilty going home, but (laughs) we wouldn't actually still be productive. And then I'd get home around 10 or 11 and fall asleep and wake up and do it all again wow that's like definitely one of the most vivid descriptions we have someone <laughs> boot camp, crying in a, into a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, that was real yeah and it sounds like this is a very collaborative environment and so you know would you say that people that are introverted or extroverted i don't know how you describe yourself like would you say that you know people that have i know i mean imposter syndrome is one thing right but if you're someone that's introverted that's going to be into this cohort would you feel like it's a welcoming environment for someone like them? I know my brother's thinking about this. I'll say he's described as an introvert. Yeah. So actually one of my really good friends from 
my cohort is super introverted and has his own very personal struggles with that. And I would definitely say like he got a lot out just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you don't want to bond with people. And essentially, like regardless of your personality, like we're all stuck in a room together for nine weeks. So you got a deal, you know, and like not everybody was best friends. Not everybody loved or hated each other. But like we definitely knew about each other and we cared about each other's success because like if one of us didn't succeed, I mean, you got to pair with everybody, right? So like one of those days you're pairing with them and it's like, if someone's not succeeding, it's because the whole group let them down, you know, and they let that pass under them. Yeah, no, and that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for a lot of people that we've interviewed, now we've gotten close to like maybe 50, 60 interviews now, they talk about how the bootcamp experience is intense. But for a lot of people, the job search experience is even harder and you took a very unique approach that a few people on the podcast have taken, but it'd be great for you to kind of like talk about how you went about that and, you know, close these awesome offers and leverage some tactics that we've talked about in the past from a negotiation perspective. So, yeah. Yeah. So I will say like when I was at the boot camp, I was very anxious about the fact that I was running out of money. And had actually started networking kind of early. And my instructors there kept telling me, Eric, you don't stress about that. Like, just leave it and you can worry about that when you're done. Just just learn as much as possible. And I definitely think that was valid advice. But, you know, there's you can there's a balance. I do think it was nice for me to already kind of start talking to people and get an idea of what it meant to to network and start getting interviews. So I actually had been talking to a couple of companies before I graduated and had a coding interview the day I graduated, bombed that <laughs> and was pretty devastated because I didn't have a lot of time. And so for the next two weeks after graduation, I was pretty desperate, but got lucky. I, well, it was luck and hard work, <laughs> but I ended up getting a part-time position at Dev Bootcamp after essentially begging the guy in charge of the program. <laughs> and actually, that's a funny story. So my husband and I were, it was two weeks after graduating and we were in our shitty little apartment. It was like 11 o'clock at night and we were crying because it was like, <laughs> we're going to have to go home. We're out of money because our lease was about to be up. And I was like, we have nothing. And six hours later, the guy in charge of the program was like, Peter just got a job. We wow. need you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it was a combination of him knowing I was desperate and also thinking I'd be good for the job. And so so they called me. I came in that day and I was like, yes, give it to me. So that that gave me a bit of a longer runway while I was doing that. At first, so that job, I was teeing a bit. And then I started working on uh, the website with their friend and engineer. And while I was doing that, I... I really focused my job hunt on networking. I didn't do a lot of cold emailing or uh, resume sending. Instead, I uh, invested in LinkedIn Premium and I essentially just I just looked around and, and thought to myself like, okay, what companies am I interested in? Do I know anybody at that company? And do I know anybody who knows anybody at that company? And like... It, 
if I did, I would reach out to that person and ask them to introduce me. And if I didn't, it essentially came down to internet stalking. And that worked pretty well. Yeah, we, we actually encourage internet stalking. And if you do know that this is the company for you, you can easily get the information of the hiring manager from LinkedIn. And then just it's a guessing game, but there's strategies that we've shared where you can just guess the email. And then if you demonstrate that you're interested enough, they'll at least respond to you. Yeah. And for you, like that was a, a real investment in LinkedIn premium when you're running out of money, but it paid off. And even though you didn't code email, you did things that were very unique before the bootcamp that prepped you to be able to, you know, have a conversation with someone. You go through the bootcamp experience. In the initial conversation, they said, "Whenever you're ready, let me know." You can tell them you're ready. They send you the assignment, and even though you bombed it, you were in a position where you were able to initiate an interview without. When a lot of people are still trying to cut through the recruiting noise, but that is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Something else I'll say is. When I was reaching out to people, I would always pitch it as a let's get to know each other sort of thing. So for me, part of my personality really is I hate making other people uncomfortable. I'm overly apologetic, that sort of thing. And so I wasn't comfortable with the idea of reaching out to somebody and be like, hey, can I use you to get a job? And so what I did <laughs> instead was just say, obviously, it's clear. I'm interested in the company. I wouldn't yeah. be reaching out to you if yeah. I wasn't. But it was like, hey, I'm interested in this company. I'd love to get your insight about what it's like there, what kind of positions my skill set suits. Uh, you know, you want to grab a coffee. And that way, the conversation was much more easygoing. It wasn't this stressful, like, what do I need to do to get this? Like, give me your advice. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like, there's actually a saying um, in startups. Uh, so a lot of people out here pitch venture capitalists or investors on different ideas. And they're always, the end goal is always the same. You want to get funding. But there's a saying that says, if you, ask for, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. But if you ask for advice, you'll get money. Yeah. So you literally took that advice and turned it into something that w w helped you find Tangible, a job. Yeah. Yeah. And it also takes the pressure of the person you're reaching out to, right? Because if someone reaches exactly. out to you out of the blue and they're like, Hey, I want to get a job. Like, can you recommend me? If they don't know who you are, they're also in a comfortable position because they don't want to like say no right away. And yeah, be, like wanna, it's kind of rude, right? Yeah. But also, even if you're asking for advice for how to get a job, it's like when people ask me that, I'm like, I'm not qualified to tell you like what you need to do. Like, I can tell you what I did, and if you want to hear that, great. But like. I don't want to be responsible for your yeah. success or failure, right? And so it's this whole idea of like, hey, you have something that I value. Maybe I have something that you value. We should sit down and chat. I'd love to get, you know, some insight. I like the word insight because it's not advice. It's not yeah. guidance. It's yeah. just like, tell me what you know, and I will figure out if that's valuable to me. And so my goal when I met people was always, 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 I didn't care about what was said. They're not going to remember that. It was just like, did they walk away with like a generally positive mm -hmm. feeling about me and about that conversation? Because mm -hmm. if so, even if they don't get me a job, we're now a connection. Mm -hmm. And that's value. That's value and money later. Yeah. And so you were able to do this successfully. You were humble enough to get a part-time job that gave you experience that you're leveraging while even in also these projects that you built 
you know, how did you get that first job offer? And what did you do with that job offer, you know, along with all the other people that you were speaking with? Yeah. So this company reached out to me about a position and they they liked my design background. That was I always pitched myself as kind of a double-edged sword, even though I didn't feel that way. Smart. I was like, I got two skill they, they sets. So I'm it. worth double. <laughs> yeah, you know, know, your, know your value. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing is like I didn't believe that's selling. that. That's selling, yeah. Right? I didn't believe it, but I did it anyways and that was definitely valuable. But so this company reached actually reached out to me. This was on stock over I had a stock overflow portfolio. And that was like at the time, I don't know if it's Liz, invite only. So I guess they thought it was a little bit more filtered. They reached out like to my design background and called me in for interviews. I did not care about this company at all. I was like, I'll do it, especially because I didn't have to work to get the company to call me back. <laughs> and that went really well. And then they, in the meantime, I had also been talking to Adobe. So that actually occurred because one of our alumni came and gave a talk at Dev Bootcamp and he was actively working at Adobe. Now he had a CS degree. So I just felt like this person was on a whole nother level. You get a CS degree and go to a bootcamp, like killing it. Right. Yeah. But so he came and talked and with my design background, obviously I had an interest in Adobe, a personal interest, not just, holy shit, it's Adobe. But I approached him afterwards, fangirled for a solid like two minutes and then told him about my background and essentially asked him if he knew any teams that were hiring. And he said, yes, my team's hiring. So there's a lot of serendipity involved in this story. So he said he would refer and send my resume to... He actually asked for my resume first while we were talking and then said there was an opening. I guess the design background again kind of cued him off that like I might be a good fit for this role. And so he said he would forward my resume to the manager and uh, the recruiter. Ironically, the talk he gave was about how to internet stalk the person who's going to interview you. Like, and, I'm an expert at that. Oh, like the, <laughs> the talk he gave at the bootcamp that day was yes. how to stalk Yeah. You. So after he said he would do that, I asked him, I was like, can I get the contact information of your manager and recruiter, the people you're going to forward it to? Or can you put me in contact with them? And he was like, Here's their names. Like he didn't say yes or no. He was just like, here's their names. (laughs) It was a test. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I passed. So I took those names. The recruiter was really easy to find as they usually are, but I could not for the life of me find the manager's email. And so what I ended up doing was just brute force (laughs) testing several variations of his name at adobe.com until I no longer got an error message. And forwarded an email saying, well, to the recruiter is like, my name is Erica. This is the person so-and-so referred to you. Here's my resume again. Definitely interested. And then to the manager, same sort of thing. But then it was like, I'd love for you to show me Adobe and show me what your team does. I'm happy to come meet anytime this week. So what's interesting is not only did you speak to someone who was on the team and that person said, hey, I'm going to forward the resume. You also want uh, above and beyond to then say, hey, I also want to make sure to follow up with those people individually, right? And how did that help you get the job or like what happened afterwards? Yeah. So I think I was definitely inspired by his internet stalking talk. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, what cued me off that I should should ask for the information and follow up. 
but also like I wasn't gonna let Adobe slip through my fingers just because I didn't send a follow-up email. So the recruiter responded to my original email and said, I'm sorry, you don't have the background we're looking for. Thanks. And I'll keep you in mind for future positions. And the manager the next day, I was super bummed out. The manager got back to me and said, usually we do a phone screen, but I'd be happy to show you around. And I was just like, I'm not even going to mention that the recruiter got (laughs) back to me. Just don't say anything. And uh, yeah, so I I went in, uh, we chatted, I asked him about what the team does, he showed me some of their projects and just same idea, just like, please just make this guy like me. I don't care what like he knows or doesn't know about like what's on my resume, he can look at my resume. But I just want him to to, like, feel good about the conversation we had. Yeah. And we'll we'll go deep into kind of how you convinced them. your your manager the hiring manager to give you the job but i think it's important that you did several things that a lot of people would have avoided doing because they're either afraid or they feel like it's not traditional to follow up with someone after someone else decided to refer but if you didn't send that email directly to the hiring manager or to the recruiter what probably would have happened is the person you met at dev bootcamp after the talk they probably would have forwarded your resume to the recruiter the resume would have ended up in a pile with a hundred other applicants. And then the recruiter, not knowing who you are, probably would have looked at your resume and said, hey, this person comes from a non-traditional background, reject it. Right. Even with the follow-up, I was rejected (laughs) by the recruiter. That's actually interesting because I've had other uh, friends of mine who applied for jobs. And when they go through... Actually, this happened to a friend of mine who applied for a job a few months ago. And he was speaking to the recruiter. The recruiter ultimately said, no, sorry. And he had a few years of experience. And then a coworker of ours was like, hey, I actually know someone uh, who works for this company like on the engineering team. You should meet them. So, And he ended up meeting them and then ended up getting the on-site, killed the interview, and then got the offer. But it kind of shows you that the recruiters are sometimes a filter or a barrier. They're the gatekeeper. Right. The gatekeeper. And you can't just um, take a no from a recruiter at face value because a lot, most likely they, they either never even looked at your resume, maybe like some software system that they right. use just filters out people with a certain background. And so you can, just because you get a no from a recruiter doesn't mean that you should stop applying and speaking to people who work for those companies because you might find that, hey, there's a position that the recruiter may not even know about. But for example, like your background with design and engineering, that's very appealing to a prototyping team, right? Because you're going to be working on using designs to implement them into code. So for everyone listening, definitely don't take no for an answer and keep pushing. I think the thing of note here too is that recruiters aren't there to make exceptions. And if you have an untraditional background, you are an exception. And so you have to find untraditional routes into the positions that you're interested in. Absolutely. I love, I love that quote. And so you, you went through all of this and you still have this other offer on the table and you're, you're getting to these different stages. And before talking about what happened there, I think another thing that we should mention too is like you said, there was a lot of serendipity in your story. But I think that there's a lot of serendipity in every story. And a lot totally. of people don't realize that. And the other thing that you did this very well is like you're just, the person that got you in didn't just go through a boot camp, but they also have a CS degree. And that can be intimidating to a lot of people. But you also thought introspectively about what is my value 
even though I dropped out of college and I have design and engineering and that's my superpower. And I don't care what anybody else tells me, I'm going to run with this. And I'm going to present myself in this way confidently. And that got you to this really awesome stage where you have all the leverage. Yeah. It was just like, for me, I was like, I don't even know if I believe in myself, but just give me a chance. Like whether I'm I'm like, if they had rejected me, like after I did the coding challenge and, and the interviews and decided I wasn't good for that team, like fine, totally. Like that's their decision. Right. But like, it wasn't even, I did not have the authority to say whether or not like that position was for me or not. And so I wasn't going to like let the doubt in myself hinder me from at least trying, at least like letting other people give me a chance, right? Yeah. And before we jump into the kind of like how you ended up getting the offer, it looks like you have a lot of drive. You might not see it or you may, but, and there's also a sense of urgency that you were saying how you were running out of money and you just had to do that. So what do you think gave you that drive to go above and beyond to like follow up with people to send out these cold emails, to actually pick a company that you really wanted to apply to and actually do everything in your power to get there. What do you think it was? I was terrified of moving back to Texas. <laughs> oh, that's, that's real. My, my cousin actually says, the fear of loss is a greater motivator than the anticipation of gain. Totally. Yeah. I think it's just like, I didn't do this for nothing. And that, it's, yeah, it's a huge drive. It was just like, I needed to see the payoff and not necessarily monetarily, just like I needed to to know that I had invested in myself and it was a good investment. Yeah, and you had a chip on your shoulder. You, you, you're driving, you're pushing. And so you got an offer on the table. You're in these late stages with these other people. They also give you an offer? So, yeah. So I, I with the first startup that had reached out to me, that went pretty quickly. It was a pretty easygoing interview process. I think they knew they were looking for a junior. And so it wasn't super technically intense, but they liked my design background. And then they ended up giving me an insane offer, just very unexpected. I mean, I gave them a number and they gave me a number $10,000 higher, which was just like... Wait, so they asked you for a number, you gave to them and they gave you more. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And I'm not sure why I can hypothesize that I had actually mentioned Adobe in one of my conversations with Mm -hmm. them. And so they wanted to shock me into accepting an offer. Mm -hmm. That's my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's true. And I actually thought that mentioning Adobe had originally been a mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you will with that information. So whenever you're speaking with people, it's probably a good idea to, you know, present yourself in a way that you are in demand and not always hypothetically. You actually were in demand. Yeah. So I was in this interview process with Adobe at the same time. I wasn't super confident at the time. I had actually... So I, I'll just go through the steps really quickly. Adobe's interview process was like long. It was like the entire like two months I was job hunting. I was in wow. talks. It was like a month and a half or something. And so uh, it was going really slow. And that process was basically... I went in, met the manager. He told me about the team. And then he sent me a coding challenge. It was a, a four-day build-a-thing kind of challenge. That I did that really well. And then they they called me. The recruiter called me, had kind of a cultural, slightly technical interview, just asking more about my background. And then came in, did another and kind of lightweight technical interview. They weren't really concerned with 
CS fundamentals or anything like that. Just wanted to get a a little bit more of a grasp on my understanding. Also, probably to make sure I didn't have someone else write the coding challenge for me. And then the final step was meeting with some of the head honchos. So going back, I'm about at like three or four of that. Like I had had the technical, the second technical interview, and I was waiting to hear back about whether they <laughs> liked me or wanted to move forward with me. And then I got this offer, this blowing, blow away offer from this company I did not give two shits about. And I freaked out. I was just like, oh, what do I do with this? Do I like, do I wait for Adobe? Do I turn this offer down? So I did what any insane person would do. And I called the recruiter from Adobe and I was like, look, I just got this insane offer. And I really want to, like, I'm really interested in Adobe but I can't, I have a week to, I, I pushed the original company for a week just to decide. And I told Adobe, I have a week. And she was like, let me call you back. Yeah. That's actually, I don't know if you intentionally did it or not, but that's like uh, negotiation tactics by the book of like letting them know who else you're speaking with. Like as soon as you get an offer, you let, you're demonstrating you're someone of value that there's yeah. other people who Urgency. want you. And then uh, the recruiter will also look, look bad if they're losing out qualified candidates to some startup. Especially after spending their process, over a yeah. month interviewing you. Right. Yeah. Which takes time and resources and yeah. money to even do. Yeah. And so it wasn't, that was more of a, uh, let me freak out and just like call Adobe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd probably read it somewhere. So I just didn't know what else to do. And yeah. I knew I wanted Adobe. And so it was just like, look, guys, I'm going to have to take this offer if you don't tell me what's going yeah. on. And so... You got them to show you the card. Uh, yeah, show, exactly. Well, you're also willing to walk away, which is the biggest point of power that at that point in time, you were like, you literally were running out of money. It's it's like either you guys give me an offer or I'm going to take something else. Yeah. So it's your, the ball's in your court. Yeah. So she called me back five minutes. I'm like in the lobby of Deb Fuki. I'm like, oh, like walking back and forth, like hyperventilating, waiting for her to call me back. And she's like, yes, they're definitely interested in you. You're their number one candidate. And we're going to try to schedule a meeting with three people who are like managing the team. And she got back to me like the next day. So she just reassured me that they definitely want to move forward and that she was going to try to make that happen. And so the next day she calls me, can you come in Monday? So she wanted me to come in Tuesday and I had to let the other people know like Wednesday. So it was like, come in Tuesday and we'll decide and we'll let you know. <laughs> so I went in Tuesday and that I felt like the interviews went really well and just kind of waited for their response. And they sent me the offer letter that same evening. Awesome. Awesome. What a great story. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story. And goes to show that, you know, when you really want something bad, you know your value um, and things are going. How, by, by the way, like before, you know, kind of going into the lightning round, how did your husband feel about, you know, this whole process at the time after you completed it? At the time or after? So, Both. Yeah. So going through it, I mean, I think it was just as stressful for him as it was for me, right? Because like he's invested in, in my success just as much as I am because just like me, he had basically picked up and left everything. So I was just the one who happened to have a program to go to. So he was just kind of figuring out his career at the same time, but like neither of us were making money. 
So for him, it was definitely like super stressful. And, but he was always, always really supportive. I mean, when I, when I bombed that first coding challenge I had, he was the one there saying like, oh, they're like, they're just a startup. They weren't going to pay that much anyways. (laughs) Like, you know, it was just as devastating, but like he definitely believed in me. And uh, he was the first person I told when I got the first offer. And then when I told Adobe, you know, and they got back to me that I was their number one candidate. I mean, he was there for all of that. And so I definitely like, he wasn't like maybe emotionally as invested, but definitely like mentally and monetarily as yeah. invested. The reason I bring it up is because like a lot of times when you're going through a journey like this, we talk a lot about your friends. I know this is deeper than just a friend, but also, you know, Arch and Timo and I, we had like this relationship coming through right. out here, but you had your partner that's going through it. And even though, you know, he was coaching you emotionally, he had, we talked about in the pre-chat, he had this experience working like doing some online poker stuff. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you followed your gut instincts and didn't even consult him on a negotiation perspective. You just did that on a whim and like made it happen on your own, which is super awesome. And you guys were able to like figure this out together. Yeah, totally. Or, or you did it on your own, but he had like the support system. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, yeah. It what was- about your parents? How did they uh, take it? Like the initial decision to do coding, engineering, and then once you got the job? I mean... So it's just my mom and she's, she's just kind of a hippie, a super Catholic hippie, which I know doesn't like go together, but she is. And, uh, (laughs) that is a hilarious comparison. Yeah. (laughs) So she's always been very much like her whole thing is just leave it up to God. And so I think it was the same kind of attitude when I decided to quit school. It's actually my brothers who were more concerned and like, are you sure you want to do this? And, and our family, I have a lot of cousins and like I had one cousin just very vocal, like you're making a huge mistake. <laughs> There's always I, that one person. I showed her. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, they ultimately like it was up to me, but they all had their different opinions. My mom just really wanted to make sure that I was sure about the things I was doing and that she supported that, which was great. Awesome. It sounds like God had a plan. You figured it out and now you're here. Yeah, um, yeah, and before we actually go into the lightning round, so we spent a lot of time talking about negotiations. I do want to go back to that for one question. So when Adobe gave you that offer, did you just accept it or did you try to negotiate the salary from Adobe? Right. So, uh, yeah, I forgot to mention this. Yeah, so, that's important because a lot of people yeah. in your position <laughs> probably would have been like, "Yeah, uh, my dream company. I'll take whatever you give me. Yeah, so what did you do? <laughs> you can pay me half. I'll still work there. <laughs> yeah. So I realized kind of halfway through that like I had some kind of leverage. And again, I'm not super comfortable making people uncomfortable, even (laughs) if they're recruiters. (laughs) Was it the same recruiter who told you no? Yes. Nice. Yes, it was. You showed a bunch of people. Yeah. (laughs) She was very kind. And she, she did ask me for a number. She asked me what their offer was. So I told her the real offer. And she was like, would you be comfortable with us matching that? And I was like, well, and like I stopped, you know, in the middle of a conversation, I had no plan, but I was just like, hmm, she's just asked me a very loaded question. (laughs) And I'm like, it's like, do you want more money? It's like, "Uh, yes. (laughs) And that's a typical uh, uh, recruiter question too. Yeah. And so, I mean, she knew how excited I was about Adobe. So it was, it was a little bit of backtracking, but I essentially said, 
well, you know, this is a, this other, I'm also interested in this other company. That's why I've gone this far with them. (laughs) Bullshit. (laughs) And it would still be a hard decision for me. But if you were to offer about 10 more, 10 or 15 more, then it would be a definite yes immediately. And she's like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. She just made (laughs) You made yourself $10,000 just by one one statement. Yeah. So they didn't go the whole $10,000 mm-hmm. higher. They went about six and mm-hmm. then they offered me a ton of equity. And so uh, it definitely worked out. I mean, but that's classic negotiation too. It's yeah. like where you like might give them a low range to a high range and landing in the middle might even right. be your number anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the times the recruiters, I think it's important for people to realize that recruiters, they give out offers like on daily basis. So she knows exactly like how people react to offers. She knows how to offer someone an offer so they kind of accept it. The fact that in that moment in time, you were able to kind of hold yourself back from just being so excited and accepting it. And you said, hey, like I've gone this far, like how far can I still go beyond that? It's It's pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. And kind of we've interviewed guests on the podcast as well who have like great negotiation advice. And it's like that pivotal moment, like because you already gone through the whole like the, all the hardest conversations that you well, all the interviews, all the technical screens, you've passed them. But this like pivotal point is actually for you, like advocating on your behalf. So some advice that I've gotten before, and I, I don't remember exactly from which guest, but kind of think of yourself as you're advocating on your behalf. Kind of right. It's not you asking for money. It's you're advocating for Erica and you're trying to get Erica more like just high compensation to compensate her for what she deserves. Right. And sometimes that helps you like instead of being, oh, my God, this is a dream company and kind of being very like emotion driven. Think it was of it totally as- emotion driven, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and, 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 but also from an inner talk perspective, like since you already went through all this nerve wracking stuff, you're running out of money you're like pretty much about to get this offer on the table it's very easy to be like i just want this to be over mm-hmm. but if yeah. you to timo's yeah. point one statement like increases your salary by so much more yeah like, wow. and i think what i realized in that moment was like holy shit she's basically telling me i'm gonna get an offer which was like more news than i could like emotionally <laughs> handle at yeah. that point but like at that point, it was also like, what harm is it going to do? Like, they're just like, what? They don't give me $15,000 or more? Like, fine. I'm still going to yeah. take it. Yeah. Like, what's, what's the worst that yeah, can happen, right? Yeah. exactly. And at that point, yeah. I mean, they're not asking you that question if they're yeah. not going to, like, give you something. Yeah. You also mentioned in the pre-chat that when you first moved out to OSF and you you were kind of going through this journey of applying to boot camps and when you started a dev boot camp, you had a number of like what your perfect or ideal salary was. Yeah. And uh, can you just touch on that number and how that number changed throughout the whole process and what advice you would have for our listeners? Yeah. Do you want the number? You don't have to reveal. I'll uh, I'll give the number. Okay. So my number was 70K. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I get 70K, granted, I was from Texas. 70K in Texas goes a lot further. I was like, if I get 70K, I'm good. Throughout the boot camp, I... uh, had a colleague, we were talking about salaries one day and he was like, I went 90K. 
I was like, why the hell is this guy's number $20,000 more than mine? And I was just like, no, you know what? I want nine to five because I have a design degree or like, you know, I have a design background and I'm worth double. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm just, I was just like, you know, I didn't believe that, but I was just like, well, if he's going to put out that number, I'm going to put out that number. <laughs> so that's what I did. And when we're, I didn't actually think I was going to get 90. And then, yeah, I ended up getting more than that. So, it's just uh, insane if you just give yourself that chance mm-hmm. and not just cut yourself short before the game's even started yeah. uh, to like what that can turn into. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, is there an online resource or book that helped you learn how to code and like get through Dev Bootcamp that you would recommend? Man, you're asking the person who like does not self-teach. <laughs> yeah. uh, I bought the books. Yeah. Now, I didn't necessarily read them. like. If you're a Ruby person, I did read some of Pooter, the project, what is it? Object-Oriented Programming for Ruby, something Mm -hmm. like that. The letters are P-O-O-D-R. And that was actually a really well-written book. And uh, what I did get through was actually great. And uh, beyond that, I just like, I'm not a book person. Were there any online resources or like kind of what helped you learn how to code? Stack, Overflow, and Google. Googling mm-hmm. everything. I mean, that is like bootcamp was really more about like learning how to figure shit out than it was cramming knowledge. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, I mean, that's definitely just like yeah. nobody knows what learning they're doing. How to learn. Yeah, nobody knows what they're doing. So they're all just Googling the crap out of things. Mm-hmm. Even now in my job, my senior engineers that sit next to me every day, they're like, oh, I don't know. And they just Google it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that you learn kind of as you become a developer. You're like, no one really has any answers. And right. there's bugs that happen all the time that no one, like most people haven't seen. That's why using Stack Overflow helps. And, right. yeah. and through this process, uh, you went through a lot of ups and downs. You and your partner, you mentioned, were crying at one point when you guys <laughs> were about to figure out how you guys were running out of money. What did you guys, and you mentioned faith, you mentioned a few things like, did you guys pray? Did you guys listen to music or watch a movie? Like, what did you guys do to, like, nope. get psyched up again? We just cried. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I mean, what psyched me up was that, so that particular instance was I had, we were running out of money. My lease was about to be up and we didn't have a plan. And it was like, we're going to have to move home to Texas. And the thought of moving home to Texas made us both cry. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that still was. still love Texas, though. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But I just, those jokes are great because Californians love those jokes. Uh, (laughs) um, But really, I mean, like we invested so much in moving out here and it wasn't so much about Texas versus California. It was like, I'm about to be proven like this was a bad idea. And that's like devastating. I just put everything into this. And so I was definitely struggling and we were both struggling, but I had been doing a lot of work to reach out to the people in charge of the program at Dev Bootcamp that hired TAs and part-time people. And I think they were also aware that my runway was quite short. And uh, that like six hours later, the next morning, you know, we had fallen asleep with like salt water drying on our face. And, you know, (laughs) I get an email from the guy in charge of the program like, hey, uh, someone just got hired. We need you to come in. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, uh, you just like hold out, you know, if you really believe in this thing. And if you're worried, like, uh, you know, you can't promise everything's going to 
come through all the time, but like, yeah. I think just like giving yourself that chance and, and giving it all you got definitely makes a huge difference. Yep. Yeah. And the last question is, if we go back to when you just dropped out of college and you mentioned that you were working at a tanning salon, right? Knowing what you know now, having gone through this journey, what would be the biggest advice that you would want to give yourself back when you were working at a tanning salon? I guess I would, I don't know if I'd change a thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's like arrogant, but I guess if I had to go back and do anything differently, it would just be just having a little more confidence in myself. I mean, that's kind of like cheating, right? Because you know how it ends up. But I think like maybe I would have gotten a slightly higher salary if I'd played that game from the first place. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I think just like being a little more comfortable with what I'm capable of and aware of that and not just aware, but like excited about that. And that would have, if nothing else, like taken a little bit of the anxiety out of the equation. I love that answer and you're so well spoken and I was so real the way you kind of like laid it out where like you kind of embrace the ups you embrace the downs everything happens for a reason I mean like even on your arm you have like that will be done and just kind of like you just kind of like trust your gut and you you make it through you've inspired me it sounds like you're gonna encourage a lot of people to negotiate as well and understand what their value is how can people stay in touch with you I know you speak at different events and things like that what's what's the best way to do that Yeah, I'm pretty open about my contact information. If you find me on LinkedIn, definitely add me. I will say if you try to add me and you don't include a message, I'm probably not going to add you because at this point in my life and my career, I get a lot of requests. But if you genuinely like want to hear my story, I'm happy to tell it and we'll add you. You just got to tell me that. And, uh, once you're like, once we're connected, you can pretty much see all my contact information. I have people reach out to me all the time and I, do my best to make time for those people because I was definitely once in their shoes. Yeah, you thought you thought she was in demand while she was going through the job search. Imagine now. And so like when she says send a message, she's not just saying send a message through the LinkedIn message portal because some people have LinkedIn premium, some people don't. But she's saying when you add her as a request, customize the message in the request right. to show that you put some thought into it, just like you would a cold email yeah. and you know, respect her time just like she respects yours. Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for sharing all of your stories. I think, like Ruben said, our listeners are going to definitely take away the salary negotiation piece. Also, just taking that risk, moving out here, giving it them all. So yeah, well, we're excited to see where you, what you do next. Yeah. And uh, thank too. you so much for coming on our podcast. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.